Hey there, and thanks for listening to our podcast. Our mission at Hope is to invite everyone to find Jesus and help them move toward the center of God's purpose for their life. Here's this weekend's message. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to all of our campuses, all of you watching online, all of us here. I uh, hope you're feeling good today. Uh, just got to say, how many with the women's conference uh, Friday night? Man, wasn't that awesome? Man. So good. So glad that you were there. Thank you for all of you who made it uh, possible behind the scenes. So many staff members and, and volunteers who, who came and gave their night. So thank you guys for making that happen and for all of you who are leaders. And for those of you showing up, man, you missed it. If you didn't come, you know, I'll pray for you. And uh, no, I'm kidding. Glad you're here. Uh, new series called The Good Life. We started it last week. Here's where we're going to go today. We're going to start with the foundational passages for the whole series. We're going to review last week just a bit and then talk about what we want to talk about today. I'm excited about today. Um, John 10.10, here's what Jesus said his purpose was. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them, people, us, those of us who believe in him, a rich and satisfying life. So the good life is not just reserved just for heaven. In other words, it's not like, hey, we're going to suffer, suffer, suffer here, although we might. But there is the possibility of the good life here. In fact, Jesus says, it's my purpose to give them a rich and satisfying life. Now, that doesn't mean that what we fill in the blank of what that means. No, in other words, the good life is money, or the good life is success, or the good life is things, or the good life is whatever it is that you would put on your list. But he's going to define that good life. And over the last few weeks, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to define what is a good life. Because it's very different from what this world says a good life is. Because when you put your trust in chariots, and when you put your trust in horses, that's an Old Testament passage, song actually of deliverance when they crossed the Red Sea. But when you put your trust in what this world has to offer, or money, or success, or career, or sports, or whatever you will be disappointed. But when you put your hope and your trust in what Jesus provides, then you may not be rich and you may not be wealthy and you may not be successful or whatever. None of those things are wrong or, or right. It's just a matter of a good life. There's many more things involved in that than just what this world says. So Jesus says you can have a rich and satisfying life. Now, Jeremiah 29, 11, we've quoted this verse for 21 years here at Hope. It used to be in all our bulletins. And it says, for I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. Now, this is in the middle. Israel is in the middle of captivity. They're in Babylon. They have been conquered as a nation. And they have been taken in. Most of them, had, a lot of them had been taken into Babylon in captivity. And then God gives them this. So the specific context is for Israel in that situation, but the overarching principle is for all of us today, and in, in, in that is that God has a plan. He is not caught off guard by your decisions. He's not caught off guard by your sin. He's not caught off guard by the sins of others in your life. He has a plan, and his future is for a hope, not for disaster. So last week in the good life, defining this, we talked about purpose, that, that the good life consists of understanding purpose. And God's purpose for creation was relationship. Adam and Eve, he created us for relationship, talking, walking in the garden. Then we sinned, 
Adam and Eve did. Brokenness, his answer for brokenness was relationship. I'm going to send Jesus, and he is going to bridge that gap. Or in other words, he's going to reconnect us to the Father. Our sins, God's holiness, the only thing that can connect us is Jesus. And that's his answer, is a relationship with Jesus. Now, God's purpose for all of us today is relationship. I mean, that's the simple answer for what is God's purpose. It it is for relationship, and we'll talk more about that in just a minute. Today, as it relates to the good life, I want to talk about compassion and how that relates, because you cannot talk about the good life, you cannot talk about God's purpose without talking about how we treat our neighbor. It's impossible to do that, and I want to connect the dots for you. Two weeks ago, I talked about baptism. And you remember this? We talked about Jesus being baptized by John the Baptist, and it was, it was not that Jesus needed to be baptized. It was a baptism of repentance, but he had nothing to repent of. Jesus didn't sin. So there was not this, this need, oh, I'm getting ready to start my ministry, and you know, early in my life I sinned, so I need to baptize. No, it was, a, it was like a baptism in the New Testament. A baptism from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. And what I mean by this is there is this change from the law to grace. There was, he was the transition here, and this, this hint of something different, as Jesus is going to say, the kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, things are changing. And, and what was required from the law, in, in that we were made right with God under the law system, that you were going to sin, and when you do, you bring a sacrifice for that sin, and a year, a temporary Uh, forgiveness would be yours when you bring a sacrifice. You keep the rules. When you don't keep the rules, you make a sacrifice, bring a goat, a a, a ram, or a bull, or a heifer, or whatever, and you sacrifice for your sins, and you would be forgiven for a year, day of atonement. And I'm going to, we're going to be transitioned into something new, but he hints of this, not only in the baptism of Jesus, but in the prophet's. Let me, let, me, let me help you understand. Isaiah 1, there is something changing in God's heart, and I want you to hear this. What makes you think, I want all your sacrifices, says the Lord. Now, let's stop for, for, for a second. He's the one who told us to bring a sacrifice. You know, I mean, and Jesus is the one, I mean, uh, God says, this is the law, this is how you were forgiven, bring a sacrifice. And now he's saying, this is 600 years before Jesus, Now he's saying, what makes you think I want all your sacrifices, says the Lord? I am sick of your burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened cattle. I get no pleasure from the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to worship me, who asked you to parade through my courts with all your ceremony? Stop bringing me your meaningless gifts. The incense of your offerings disgusts me. As for your, he woke up on the wrong side of the bed, right? It's like, wow, man. As for your celebrations of the new moon and the Sabbath and your special days for fasting, they are all sinful and false. I want no more of your pious meetings. I hate your new moon celebrations and your annual festivals. They are a burden to me. I cannot stand them. When you lift up your hands in prayer, I will not look. Though you offer many prayers, I will not listen. For your hands are, listen, so we're going to bring this all together. For your hands are covered with the blood of innocent victims. Wash yourselves and be clean. Get your sins out of my sight. Give up your evil ways. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Help the oppressed. 
defend the cause of orphans, fight for the rights of widows. Now, now listen, we could look at this and, and re, have you ever read an email or a text with a certain tone that was not intended? You, you know what I'm saying? Have you sent one that was not intended to be aggressive, but the, per, the person receiving it received it aggressively? And they're like, well, let me, and you're like, what, what just happened? You're reading with a tone. Now, I'm not saying that God is not trying to make a point. I'm not even saying that he's not trying to correct, but let's change the tone for a second. What if it's not, though you offer prayers, I'm not going to listen because you're idiots type of tone to, guys, you're, you're, missing, you're missing the whole point of what I established. You're going through the motions. You're going through your calisthenics religiously. You're going through your rituals, but your hearts are far from me. You're just going through the sacrifice deal, and then you just go live your life, and you just do what you want. And you're missing the whole point. Because, hear, hear me, it's not just about your love and worship this way. It is about your love this way as well. And he connects the dots by saying, hey, listen, don't bring me your parade of worship. Don't bring me your pious gifts. Don't bring me your incense and your sacrifices. I mean, that, you're missing the point. Wash your hands of not being compassionate towards people. Now, I'm not making this up. This is 600 years before Jesus. The tone is changing. And here's the tone. Come now. Let's settle this. So the tone is not like, come, well, come here. Come here, you whippersnapper. Right? He's not saying, he's saying, come now and let's settle this, says the Lord. Though your, uh, uh, next verse, yeah, though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. I will make them white as snow. Not you, not your sacrifice, not your law keeping, not your rule following. I will make them white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, I will make them white as wool. There is a correlation, he's saying, and I know we, we, we do this. How many have ever been in a worship service and maybe you were singing a song and your mind is a million miles away, right? And I, I was raised in the tradition, um, I'm very familiar with raising our hands during worship, right? I mean, I just, you know, it's just a part of my growing up, and, and, and I know some of you aren't used to that, but man, some of us have done that. We're singing a song and we're just doing this and we are not thinking about God. We're not thinking about the song or the words we're singing. We're thinking about my husband's hands are up and I cannot believe that his hands are up, that hypocrite. The way he talked to me this morning, are you kidding me? He better get his hands on down. You know, type of, you know what I'm saying? You ever thought of, no, don't raise your hands, but you ever thought, or maybe you're just thinking about, I hope he's finished before the pregame. You know, you know, I mean, you're thinking, I'm, I'm hungry. I am starving. Or you're thinking, man, it's freezing cold in here. What in the world? Okay, that's not the kind of distraction I'm talking about. That's not the kind that, that the Lord is saying. I don't want your worship because you're thinking about other things. We're human. We're going to do those things. He's just saying, hey, listen, don't worship me here. Don't, don't bring your relationship here if your relationship here is non-existent. Because your worship is far more, far more encompassing than just your song to me. It is your love 
for your neighbor. Wash your hands from shedding the blood of innocent victims. Help the oppressed. Love justice. Does this make sense? So, so now let's bring it full circle to what we covered last week in the great commandment. Of all the things that we could keep, in this particular path, that was Matthew 22. Today we're going to look at Luke 10. Same, same, uh, uh, same passage, different book. And Jesus has asked the question this way. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. So, do you see how this correlates with the changing understanding of our relationship with God is not about the rituals that we bring to him, not about the worship we bring to him, as, as much as it is the love that we share with our neighbors. What's the greatest commandment? How do I in inherit eternal life? This is before Jesus died, but he says, love God, love people. Equally as important, love people. Then the man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And today, that's what I want to dive into. And I want us to just kind of look at what Jesus' answer. And I know you know the story. I'm going to ask you not to wander, not let your mind, because you know the story of the Good Samaritan. You're like, oh, God, I know that story. But I want you to connect the dots. Because when Jesus is asked about the good life, and I'm saying it because we're doing a series, but when we ask, hey, what do, I inherit, what do I do to inherit eternal life? Or of all the commandments, what's the greatest one that I could keep? And he says, love God, equally as important, love your neighbor. They are not mutually exclusive. They are tied to one another. And we go back to the Isaiah passage, and he says, hey, man, don't, don't, you're missing the point if you just come in here and you bring your, your offering, your money, you bring your prayers, you bring your service, you bring your songs, and then you hate your neighbor and you walk away from those in need. He says, don't do that. You're missing the whole point of worship. You're missing the whole point of my relationship. So you cannot talk about the good life without talking about compassion. You, know, you can't do it. Jesus was, is quoted in Acts saying, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So as it relates to the, the answer that Jesus would give, who's my neighbor? Let's read. Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from, a Jewish man, okay, was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed the other side to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan, time out, despised Samaritan. Samaritans were north of Samaria, was north of Jerusalem, in an area in which from the 12 tribes of Israel, a part of the tribes settled in this area, but though that particular tribe intermingled with other religions, married other religions. 
and the Jewish people despised them. Remember the story of the Samaritan woman? That's why he says, he uses the term despised Samaritan. The Jews despised racism at a height in the first century. So then a a despised Samaritan, the priest passes by, the temple assistant passes by, but a despised Samaritan saw the man and he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed him he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now then Jesus asked, which is the greater, or which, is, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits, Jesus asked. And what would you say, right? We would all say, the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. So there are four kinds of neighbors. I'm going to talk about one next week. But this week, I want to talk about three kinds of neighbors to help us understand the good life as it relates to compassion and as it relates to the great commandment. Love God, love your neighbor. Number one, neighbors who need spiritual compassion. So there are neighbors in in which we uh, um, uh, live next door to, work around, go to school with, neighbors who need compassion spiritually. They are lost. Uh, Picture this. Picture the the adulterous woman brought to Jesus in the temple by the religious leaders who say, the law says stoner, what do you say? This is a great picture of what we're talking about here, spiritual compassion. When Jesus says, will those of you without sin cast the first stone? So in other words, he's just calling out the hypocrisy in that they have sin of all kinds, but yet this particular sin, how many find it easy to to judge somebody else's sin, but take it easy on your sin? Right? I mean, because it's not the same sin. You don't struggle with stealing stuff. So you just can't imagine how in the world would somebody else, you know, steal something from, from Dillard's. How could you possibly do that? That makes no, you know, okay, so because those of you don't have a problem stealing stuff, it's like, man, that's ridiculous. How in the world would you, why would you do that? Doesn't make any sense. Now you get the picture. These people are like, I would never do that. So they bring her and they say, and what does Jesus say? He doesn't license her sin. He doesn't say, hey, it doesn't matter what you do. I love you anyway. No, no, he holds her accountable and says, go and sin no more. But he tells the religious leaders, hey, you, you cast the first stone if you don't have any sin in your life. What is that called? Spiritual compassion. That's the picture. Here's another picture, Matthew 9. Jesus sees the crowds and he has compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like a sheep without a like sheep without a shepherd. You understand when we see, when I look at our area, the the Plano, uh, Frisco, McKinney, the Colony, Little Elm, Prosper, Salina, Gunner, Savannah, all this, I mean, growing like crazy, right? I mean, still for 21 years, I mean, we continue to be the fastest growing area in the nation. Great schools, great stuff. And I know we're not perfect here, but, but a lot of the good things, business, you know, all that stuff. The only thing that's not going is infrastructure <laughs> on how to, you know, you know how to, and, and lessons on how to drive. 
and I'm going to start a school for that. <laughs> if you're on Preston, north of Maine in Frisco, up towards Prosper Salina, and the, the speed limit is 55. If you can't drive 55, get off the road. <laughs> that is a word from God. Now, I find it so funny. It last, last service, the whole place erupted in cheer. They're like, yes, yes. I'm talking about loving your neighbor and being compassionate, and nobody claps, nobody says a word. When I talk about traffic, they're like, yes, preach it, preach it. All right. But when he saw the crowds, he had compassion. In other words, he saw it as an opportunity. He saw it when he saw the crowds, he didn't see it. And I, I, I'm, listen, I'm with you on the infrastructure and all the, you know, it's just like, wow, there's a lot of people here and there's not many roads. I mean, there's, it's just hard to get around now. Even with COVID now, kind of, at least in our year, going down and, and the traffic is increasing, it's like, man, 380 is not God's will for your life between four and seven. I can just tell you that right now. But instead of seeing it as a burden, we see it as Jesus through the lens of compassion. That these people moving from all over the nation because of better lifestyle, um, better business, whatever, right? They're moving here. And instead of being firstly concerned with how they vote, we see it as spiritual compassion. Sheep without a shepherd. Not all of them, of course, but many of them. And that's why we started this church. In my mind, I was raised in a certain tradition, and, and there were some things about that tradition, spiritually speaking, that I had, I, I mean, I just, I didn't agree with. Some, some things that would involve our worship that I'm like, man, I don't want that, I don't want to do that anymore. That just drives people away. In my, and some of you are raised in other traditions where nobody understood anything that was going on in the service. And there's some in, the, in between that were, you know, preaching hell, fire and brimstone, and man, we're, and they're kind of glad that you're going to hell, you know, type of talk. So many of us were raised in all these traditions, and, and the heart of hope for me was I just wanted to create a church or, or build a church or start a church that I could invite my friends to. That what mattered more than the peripherals of Christianity and the different styles and cultures and even theology was that we love God with all of our hearts and love our neighbor as ourselves. End of story. Major on the minors. That's why we, we started. And so when I look at our area, I see the spiritual compassion that's needed. And it, we're, we have great churches around here. Listen, there are great churches around here. We're not the only thing going. I totally get that. There's probably churches that are even better than this one. That's awesome. But our heart, though, is to see through the lens of compassion rather than convenience. And just say, God, what are you calling me to do? Spiritually speaking. And as a church, I talked to you last week about our Prosper campus. And man, I, can, I couldn't be more excited about saying, we're not just going to meet in a high school. We're gonna, we bought land a couple of years ago. And now um, we're going to build a building on that land. And, and I want to pay cash for that. Because I believe in the next generation. We sang that song, The Blessing, at the end of worship, that last song. And that, that line that says, generation to generation, my family. I mean, I can't help but think about that. When I think about anything that we do here at Hope, and you know this, that we don't build buildings because it's fun. Buildings are not fun. 
Anybody who says build, building a building is fun is weird. <laughs> it's a hassle. I mean, it is a hassle. But the only reason is not to kingdom build. It's not, I'm, I'm old now, right? In, in, a, in, in, in just a few years, when I say a few years, 25 or 30, I won't, I'm kidding, I'm older than that, but I won't be here. The next generation will. And when you sing that song, and your children, and their children, and their children, and their man, Lucy, my granddaughter, God willing, will be a part of this church. Some of you, Cayenne, you're going to be leading in this church. I'll be old. I'll be coming around, hey, I remember you. <laughs> You've grown up, you know, type of thing. But you'll be leading. Some of your, that's, listen, it, I'm so excited that we get a chance to do that in Prosper. We got one in McKinney and one in West Frisco, one here. And who knows what God has in store, but I want to make cash for that. So I, I gave you the opportunity to, to get one of these pledge cards for the next two years. I want to pay cash for this. And here's this. I made this up. You don't have to do this. But if 2,000 people would give $5,000 above and beyond for the next two years, that's $2,500 a year extra, we'd build this debt free. That's it. Now, I know some of you can't do that. You're like, whoa, there's no way. You don't un totally understand. But what could we do? 100 bucks, 1,000 bucks, whatever it is. Some of us can do way more than that. But when I, when I see our area and I see the, the potential, I look at it through the lens, and obviously I'm a pastor, I get it, I know I'm paid to do this, and I know that, that I think about church 100% of the time and, and all of that, but the reality is it matters because we look at our neighbors with spiritual compassion. It doesn't matter how much money they have. You can live in a ghetto and be the wealthiest of the wealthy. And when I say ghetto, I'm talking about spiritually speaking. Because I'm going to tell you, when the, when, the, when, when the rubber meets the road, and your family falls apart, and the money doesn't answer the question, and the career goes south, and the finances, all the, listen, what, you, what we have thought was the good life, hope wants to be here to pick up the pieces. And I think of the marriages that will be restored through, through re-engage. I mean, can I tell you how many marriages that have been restored that were heading, they came in to re-engage our marriage ministry saying, we're going to get a divorce. Last summer, I married a couple that came in to re-engage saying, we're getting a divorce, can't do it anymore. And I remarried them back there in the re-engage room. I mean, it was awesome. Incredible. And they're happy and doing great. I can't tell you on Monday nights how many hundreds of people have gone through regeneration. And let me tell you something, dealing with people's hang-ups and hurts and, and addictions is not easy. It's messy. Doesn't always go right the first time. Some have to go through the program two or three times. But man, the hundreds that are being discipled and loved on, and that's why we do what we do. And if you believe anything other than that, you've missed the point. And, and, and I'm sorry that you feel that way. But I want to invite you to that journey. You can go online as well and, and text PROSPER to 97000, and it has all this information. You can do it online. You can do it in person. The first weekend of December, I'm going to take in all the cards. I'm asking you to do this. If you, if you feel led to be a part of this, not just say, hey, I'm going to do it, but I'm not going to turn in my card because I don't want you having my email and sending me a bunch of stuff. Okay, totally understand. 
I'll I'll talk about that in a minute. But you can go to text this and it has all the information, video and all that stuff. Or you can go to the website with with Prosper Updates. I invite you to do it. But here's my slogan for for this journey. No pressure, just an invitation. If it doesn't hit you right, you don't have to leave. You don't have to leave our church because we're raising money. I'm not going to badger you the whole time. It's just an invitation. No pressure. Number two, if you don't want to put your name on it, that's okay. No problem. Now, don't be a tricker and say, hey, I'm going to give a million dollars. And you're just joking. God sees you (laughs) and he will find you. So don't turn into no name thing, you know, but if you want to be a part, I'd love for you to be a part. Okay. Now that's spiritual compassion. In other words, how does compassion line up with good life? Number one, we have neighbors who are spiritually in need of compassion. Number two, and I'm almost done, believe me, neighbors who need physical compassion. Now, uh, a few, I don't know, maybe a year and a half or two ago, my buddy, Paul Norell, who's sitting right over there, uh, we, we have had lunch. He's a businessman from Minnesota, and he moved to God's country. And we were having lunch. We've had several of those. And uh, he says, hey, man, I, I want to introduce you to a, a ministry that I've been a part of for years. It's in Costa Rica. And um, it's great. Now, let me time out here. And I love, you know, Paul knows I love him. But can I tell you how many people tell me about their mission project around the world? I mean, it's all, we get emails daily, daily from mission organizations around the world saying, please help us, please help me. And that's fine. It's all good. We, I mean, they need help and we want to be a part of that when we can. So when, when Paul was talking about this, my first thought was, man, wow, another partner. Wow. Okay. So, so I did what any good leader does and I pass it off to somebody else, right? I say, hey, Paul, I'm going to get you connected to our missions pastor and, and I'll let you talk to Lana and you guys can work it out. And I left it alone because I need to. I, I don't need to be involved in that. She does that and she knows what we're doing and what we have and all that stuff. Anyway, long story short, I had no idea that the director of this ministry in Costa Rica came in and Paul and they all met together and we started this little relationship with this ministry in Costa Rica called Roblialto. And it is, that means, that's Spanish for tall oak. No real significance except the area in which they have their ministry, uh, well, one of their areas. Anyway, so we started this relationship and we started going down there and taking people down there. We've gone many times now. And Lana was talking to me about this ministry, and I'd for, kind of forgotten about, because we've done some other things in Costa Rica as well, so I'd kind of forgotten what this, how we got into this partnership, and I was like, how did we get in this? He goes, she goes, your friend, Paul, your little buddy, you know, told us about this. And I said, oh, this is the one Paul said. Yeah, yeah, that's it. I said, well, let me go down. So this September, we had a trip, go, we had, I don't know, uh, I don't know, 12 or 15 from, uh, from Hope go to Costa Rica, and I flew in on a Monday, left on a Wednesday, but I just flew in just to see what's going on. What, what is this thing that Paul was so adamant about? And I've been all over the world in missions, except for Asia. I've been to a lot of different places and they're all great. I don't have one, we don't have one partner that I am not like, this is awesome. Okay. So please understand that. I've never seen let me say this. I, I was never moved the way that I was moved with what's going, what's going on in Roblialto and in Costa Rica, like I've been in other places. Never have I seen the ministry work this way. And here's what they do. 
they take, and this is, I'm just going quickly here, but they take children that have no chance in life. Their mom is a prostitute, drug addict, their dad is left, or he's a gang member, or whatever, whatever the family dynamic is. Most of the parents are single. Most of the parents cannot support their kids. Those kids end up doing things that you would never want your little girl to do. You would never want them to be subject to some of the things that these little girls are subject to. And some of these little boys who they have no chance, no hope, no way of getting out of the poverty and getting out of this system, and so they join the gangs. But what I love about this is it's not an orphanage. It's not like, okay, we're going to take them away and we're going to feed them and we're going to be with them and hopefully somebody will adopt them. And that's not wrong. I mean, that's, those are great things and, and I'm all for that too. But what I love about this is they take those kids, mostly from San Jose, but wherever, San Jose is the capital, and they bring them into this, um, these houses. There's like 10 or 12, 15 houses there's a hundred of the kids in this area, and then they do, um, they do schools and centers all over the city where they take in the poorest of the poor, the most threatened in, in the city, and they educate them, they feed them, and they give them Jesus every single day. So I'm at the home where they have these kids that live there and I, on a Monday night, Tuesday night, and then uh, Wednesday lunch, I spend time with 10 kids and their, and their parents, their house parents. And the first night I got there, and, you know, language barrier, you know, they speak Spanish, I speak English, and so you really can't communicate, but I, I'm playing chess with this little, little boy. We had dinner together, and everybody's just going to look at each other, you know, and, and then we played games, and I'm playing chess with this little guy, and we have masks on because it's COVID time, and there the season had spiked, and so anyway, we're, we're doing that, but every once in a while, and let me just tell you, I did not let him win. This little boy, little stinker, was good, and I come to find out he plays this like every day. I mean, he's like really good, but anyway, we're playing, and he, when he makes a good move, he pulls his mask down, and he just smiles, and I'm like, oh my gosh. He captivated my heart. I've never said this anywhere I've gone, and I've gone to the poorest of the poor in Africa, and they're beautiful. Uh, I mean, wherever. But I would have taken him home and adopted him that day. I mean, just, I mean, I would have brought him, I wouldn't even have called Melissa. I would, I'm serious, I would have just said, hey, get over it. We're, we're, we got a new son. So, anyway, that night, playing with him, and, and, and there's other uh, beautiful kids. And anyway, I'm playing with him, and, and the next day, I'm talking to the director. We we're meeting, and, and I just said, tell, can you tell me Marco's story? His name was Marco. And she goes, oh, John, you would not believe. He's the oldest of his family, and he, just got, he had just gotten into a gang, nine or ten years old. He just got into the gang, and he would not do anything his mom said. He would not go to school. He would not come home. He would do whatever he was doing with the gang, and I don't know what that was. And she just didn't know what to do. She does things that she has to do that none of us would approve of, but you understand where I'm going with that, to make ends meet. 
And she didn't know what to do with him, so she said, would you go to this place called Robliato? They, you live there, and they, they help. No, no, I'm not going. I'm not going. I'm not going. I'm not going. She said, well, you at least visit. And so he visited that one time. She told, sh- they showed him around, and he says, okay, I'll go for a little while. Well, a year and a half later, when he entered the program, what was in his eyes was evil, and a year and a half later, the eyes that the mask came down and those eyes spoke Jesus like I have never seen in my life. I'm going to show you a picture of Marco. This is my little buddy. He's my son now. We are adop- No, we're not adopting him. We're not. <laughs> but that's Marco. He's 14 now. He's, he's almost ready now. So what I love about this ministry is they don't just bring them to the home and, and then leave the parents be. They help the parents. Their whole goal is to reunite the families. So they're working with the moms and the dads and whoever they need to work with to get them out of the things that they're involved with, get them a job, get them stable, get them healthy. I've never seen anything like it before. When you walk across the road and you see the victim on the ground, and the sheer hopelessness, you can't help. If you have any of Jesus in you whatsoever, you can't help but have compassion. And the, and the kids that you and I are, we're worried about their select stuff, and we're worried about their college. It's not wrong. That's not wrong. I don't say that in a demeaning way. I just, I just mean the things that we're worried about are the things that they are not worried about. They're hoping they can eat the next day. And so, I'm telling you, I, w- I walked away from that. I told Paul, you jerk. What did you do? I mean, what did you do to me? I mean, this is unbelievable. So here's what I'm, I'm going to ask. So we're building this building, and I'm asking you, for, you know, for the money and all that stuff, because I believe in what we do here. I believe in what we do right here. I'm not apologizing for that in the least. But I'm not just saying we're going to meet spiritual needs. We're going to meet physical needs too. And I'm going to ask you if you would have it in your heart to sponsor one of these kids. Melissa and I have already done one. We already do three more. We do one in Africa and two in Honduras. But we're going to add more. And if you don't, if you don't take them, we will. I can't do all 300 of them. But I'll do more than, I, than, than I've done right now. But we've done one because I want to leave some for you and our whole church. We have thousands of people here. We only have 310, I think it's 310 kids. So I'm going to ask you, all you got to do is go to this right here. I think it's going to be on our, on, our, on our app, but if you want to go hopefellowship.net slash child sponsor, it's Roblialto Child Sponsorship. Listen, 30 bucks a month. Some of you could do that when you're asleep. Some of you could go in with somebody. Maybe you do it as a family, and maybe one of your kids gives five bucks a month, the other five, and the other five, and then you do 15, whatever it is, I don't know. But I'm just telling you, and, and when you don't do it, they're able, so, so it's maybe some of you are like, somebody told me in the lobby, I can do it for a year. Go, do it for a year. And then when, when, when you can't do it anymore, they go back on the, the, the opportunity to be sponsored again. So we do this on an ongoing basis, so, but we've been doing this for years, so I invite you to do this, okay? So I'm not hard selling this, I'm just telling you, there's no way I wouldn't. 
If I had the means, there's no way I wouldn't because it is an unbelievable thing. And lives are not just physical lives, but their spiritual lives are being changed. And it's an awesome opportunity. And so, Paul, I just want to say thank you, man. Thanks for inviting us to this journey. And it's incredible, incredible. Okay, okay, so we're done. Three, last neighbor, and I'll be quick. Last neighbor is neighbors who need both. So Marco needed both. And some of you need both. Or you have needed both. I know what that's like. I was adopted when I was three days old with a teenage mom who couldn't take care of me. And my mom right there took me in physically and spiritually. And some of you know what that's like. Some of you have been older and, and, and you need spiritual compassion and you need physical compassion. And you need people around you that give a care. And, and let me leave you with this. Adam Grant says it this way. What the world needs more than sympathy and empathy is compassion. Sympathy, I'm sorry you're in pain. And that's good. I mean, we, we are sympathetic. Empathy, I feel your pain. Oh, I just heard for you. Compassion, I'll do whatever I can to alleviate your pain. And this right here, guys, let me just tell you something. You will never experience the good life unless you understand that word. It is not all about us, guys. You know, I know you know that. But your worship and our worship is not just on Sunday singing a song. Our worship, as the Lord instructs us, is to help the oppressed, to bring justice. So I invite you, not just to, not just to the Prosper Campus Project and not just to Robley Alto. I invite you in, in a lifestyle of compassion. Stop judging everybody and, 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 and being political all the time and, and just say, hey, let me open my spiritual eyes to what the Lord sees because the harvest is great, but the workers are few. In other words, the workers who actually give a care are few, spiritually or physically. And so I invite you to that. But like I said, maybe you're here today and you need both. There's some, there's some hurt in your life and you just need people around you to, to care. I may not be able to fix it. Many of you, I, I can't, I, no matter how much money I have, I can't fix it. And no matter how much money you have, you can't fix it. But the spiritual compassion is I know the one who can heal it. And he's the only one that can fix our spiritual need. And then he uses us to fix this physical of those around us. Don't be like the priest or like the temple assistant and just walk across the road. Open our eyes and see the way Jesus sees the crowd. And if you're here today, whatever campus you're at, and you need compassion of some sort, we're going to be here to pray. We're going to be out in the lobby, whatever you need. We want to help you. We want to show compassion. We may want to fix your problem but we can certainly point you in the right direction. So would you, with a heart full of gladness and understanding what worship really is, it's this way and this way. And when we learn that, we're living the good life. God, your word is so convicting. 
it is um, an unbelievable journey that you've invited us to, and your purpose is to have us or give us a rich and satisfying life. And there are a lot of challenges in our lives. There are a lot of things that we cannot make right even if we wanted to. There's some unanswered questions. There's some deep, deep wounds. There's some spiritual needs and there are some physical needs. But just like that woman who was brought in by the religious leaders, Lord, you showed spiritual compassion and that's, what we, that's the kind of people we want to be. And there are people who are left on the side of the road for dead that we, for whatever reason, they come across our path. Let us not go to the other side, but let us be a part of healing with the with the miracle of compassion. So Lord, thank you for your love for us. May that love flow through us to those around us. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to Hope's Weekend Message. Visit hopefellowship.net and further connect with us by downloading the Hope app from the App Store or Google Play. Have a great day.